We pick it up in verse 22 of chapter 14. As Moses is speaking to the children of Israel, the next generation, about to go into the promised land. And he's explaining to them when they get there, how they're going to live their lives and what to expect. And he says in verse 22, You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain and the field produces year by year. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds of your flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you so that you're you're not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money, take the money in your hand, and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires. You shall eat there before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. And at the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year, stored up within your gates, and the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands which you do. Now, when we think about Israel, the previous generation was very generous, even though they didn't enter into the promises. If you recall, after God gave the instructions for the tabernacle to be built, they took an offering, or as we'd say, received an offering in the back part of Exodus, and the people had plundered the Egyptians. God said when they were coming out of Egypt with the Passover that he would plunder the Egyptians. The Egyptians would give the Israelites who had been slaves all their wealth when they left. It's like God made retribution. He made it right when they were leaving. And they left, and so they had all this wealth. And then they get out in the wilderness to Mount Sinai. They get the Ten Commandments, and they make the covenant with God. And then they need to build the tabernacle. And so God says through Moses, now we need the stuff with the gold, the silver, the brass, and the wood, and the all the fine linens to build a tabernacle. So the people came willingly, and they gave so much that they had to tell them to stop giving. That's interesting because that is actually something that this generation's parents did in the wilderness. So they were willing to give that wealth that they received, but of course they were they worshipped the golden calf, which was wickedness, and they refused to enter in at Kadesh Barina, which was unbelief. But to their credit, their parents had been generous with their wealth in the building of the tabernacle. So when they looked at that tabernacle, when Moses is saying this, they can look at Exhibit A and know that their parents who died in the wilderness in unbelief were generous with the wealth they had when they came out of Egypt. Also, of course, being Israelites and being descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we can go back and look a little bit about their forefathers. Abraham, of course, all the Jews, Abraham is the chief of all the Jews. He's the the head of the race, the, the ethnic people group, Abraham. And we know that when Abraham rescued Lot, his nephew, when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah were overrun by the confederation of kings, Chedorlaomer, about 2000 BC in that region of Syria, Israel, modern Lebanon, that Abraham had a standing army of about 250 people that were his employees. And they went and rescued, they went up into Syria, up that way toward Turkey in that area, and they rescued Lot, all the people, all the wealth. And they came back, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah came out, and before they came out, Melchizedek appeared to Abraham, and then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe of his increase. So he tithed to Melchizedek. So the the phrase tithe comes from the term one-tenth. Tithe is one-tenth. If you never knew that, it's considered one-tenth. So Abraham 
before the law came, before this instruction ever came, 400 years prior, he gave a tithe to this Melchizedek, who, of course, is in the book of Hebrews. He has no beginning, no ending. He's the king of Salem, which is king of peace. Possibly what we call a theophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, or uh, an angel as a type of Christ. But at any rate, Abraham tithed. So it was in his heart to tithe. Then the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah said, hey, you keep all the wealth because you rescued it, but give us the people. And isn't that like human governments? They want the people because people are the greatest assets because people produce wealth. So the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah said, you can keep the wealth that you brought back. We want the people. That's the workforce. And, And remember what Abraham said? He goes, look, I'm not taking a sandal strap from you lest you say that you made Abraham wealthy. Abraham was basically saying, I'm wealthy because God has blessed me, not because you corrupt evil kings are blessing me. So keep all your gold, keep all your silver, keep the people, keep everything. I'm taking nothing from you. So at the same time, he tithed of his wealth to Melchizedek. He also told the kings of the world, you can have it all. Because I don't want you to say for one moment at any concept in the economy of God, that you even gave me a dime. Nothing came from you. God has blessed me. God has given me promises. He gave me a, a son of promise from the woman who was barren. God has given me the land that you were going to fight over for until the Lord comes back the second time. He gave me this land. But even when God gave Abraham that land, it said that Abraham lived in tents, as did his children and his grandchildren. They never built a house. That's why Hebrew says that they looked for the city which had foundation, whose builder and maker is God. They were... Pilgrims, they were tent dwellers because they looked for the heavenly city. They truly had an eternal perspective. And when Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven where thieves and moth cannot destroy, Abraham is exhibit A because that's who he was. That's who Isaac was and Jacob and the rest. Also, interestingly enough, Isaac, the son of promise, when he came of age and he inherited the wealth of his father, again, no houses, when there was contention over the wells that belonged to his dad, he said, you can have that, the well of contention, the well of strife. He said, I'm not going to fight over that. You can do that. But we also read of Isaac there in Genesis 26, that it said, he sowed in the land, he began to sow, and he sowed a hundredfold, and he, he, he began to prosper, he became very prosperous, and he prospered in all that he did. The term prosperous is used uh, in three different forms in the two verses there describing his life. And he increased a hundredfold. Now, what's amazing about Isaac's increase is it was during a famine. He sowed bountifully in a famine, and he reaped a hundredfold. So his father Abraham was like this with Melchizedek and the kings of Sodom. Then he sowed during a famine. He didn't fight over the wells that belonged to his dad. He let it go. He gave it to the Lord. In a world of givers and takers, Abraham was a giver. Isaac was a giver. And they were surrounded by takers. And they forgave, and they went forward, and they trusted in the Lord. Very, very important. So now we come to the context here where this nation of 2 million people are going to go in and get the land. Everything they're going to have is from the Lord. God's already said, the vineyards you inherit, you didn't plant those vineyards. They're great vineyards. The wells, you didn't dig them. They're everything you need. The olive groves, you didn't plant those olive trees. The fig trees, I'm giving it all to you. I mean, they are inheriting the nation of Israel. And on the planet this day, Israel is the third largest exporter of flowers and goods to the world. This is a very fruitful land to this day, Israel. And he gave it to them. He's given them the best. We've already seen that as we've been going through Deuteronomy. And so he says, when you're in the land and you're prospering, this is what you're going to do. Now, he made it very clear, we've already seen this as well, that He's their provider. He's their protection. 
He's going to give them the early rain, the latter rain, and he's going to protect them from their adversaries. I just finished Chronicles, and it's interesting how the kings with faith, like uh, Jehoshaphat and stuff, they'd be tested, and they'd bring revival, and they'd send out teachers to teach the Bible, the law of God in the different cities, and then they'd be attacked, but because they had faith, they could call on the Lord for deliverance, and the Lord would deliver them from the Ethiopians and others because they're in a good place. But someone like Ahab, who was an evil and wicked king, who stole Naboth's vineyard and killed him and had him executed, he can't call on the Lord. So the, the, the head of a horse is going to be of food and value in the city of Samaria when people are starving because they can't call on the Lord for provision because they're worshiping Baal and they don't worship the Lord. And they're the people of God. They're the sons of, of uh, Abraham. So in their economy and in their covenant, they were to look to the Lord and be dependent upon the Lord. He would then provide for them. And he was so personal in their life because when they're doing the right thing, they're the head, not the tail. They've got the early rain. They've got the harvest. Here come the Midianites. God protects them. And here's their increase. And they're prosperous people. In fact, with the good kings, there are seasons of prosperity where everything was going good. Solomon had a very prosperous time for decades where things went really well until he turned his back on the Lord, and then he was harassed from different corners, and by the time he dies, within one generation, his gold shields are stolen by Pharaoh, and they're replaced by his son Rehoboam with bronze shields. It's a regression, a degeneration, and that's what can happen from generation to generation. We're actually seeing it right now in the United States of America, that same type of thing. But the United States of America is not in a covenant with God, and the covenant the church has with Jesus Christ, his church, is not the same as this covenant. So that's why I give you this context that we understand this is the tithe for them. Now, Jesus talked about the tithe, but we know that the tithe is an element of the law, and the New Testament makes it very clear that we're not under the tithe. So the tithe is a great principle, but I would never tell you the tithe is something that God commands of us or expects of us in the New Testament church. In fact, that can be kind of a legal relationship, almost like the government wanting your taxes. God is never in the business of being big government and taxing us to demand the tithe in that way because God loves a cheerful giver and he doesn't want us to give begrudgingly. And so in the new covenant, the everlasting covenant, we, we aren't in the same type of legal relationship that way. We're in a legal relationship with Caesar, with your state taxes and federal taxes, right? Can I get a witness? Amen. Yes. All right. But not so with the Lord. And we're in a loving relationship with the Lord, not a legal relationship. And it's not our wealth that's God's after, it's our heart, because really everything we have is from the Lord. And one of the great challenges of the human experience for a believer in Jesus Christ is to truly trust the Lord with their health and their wealth. Because in the end, we're going to lose our health, and we're going to die, and we're going to lose our wealth and leave it behind. And if you can get from point A to point B in the journey and truly have sown bountifully and let go of all things and really committed to the Lord... You're going to be good. And one only need look like Job from the book of Job, even before the new covenant, where in one day thieves took his wealth. Don't forget the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans. They came and they took his wealth. They took everything he had. And his children died on the same day. And his wife told him to curse God. And he didn't see it as it's about the Sabaeans taking my wealth. He saw it as being it's from the Lord. And he said to his wife, you know, we've praised him when it's been good. Can't we bless him when it's not good? That's what he said to his wife. He said, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked I came from the womb, and naked I'll return. And so it is. So as we think about these things, I bring you back to that last passage in this text, that last verse where it says, 
It explains what to do, and there's a conclusion where it says, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands which you do. That's like a therefore. It doesn't say therefore, but there could be a therefore there because that's the concluding thought. You see, in verse 22, coming back to the tithe for the second time in these three chapters, it says, this, this, you will truly tithe. Like, you know, it's sincere. It's not like you're doing just something like, again, like big government or whatever, but it's sincere. You, you got the right perspective on it. And there's the place, he said, in the place that the Lord tells you to, verse 23. So we see this idea that, you know, it's like it's a sincere act of worship. It's in the place that God sets up. And it's a good thing. And then as he goes through these checkpoints of that, you'll fear the Lord, that you'll rejoice with your household, and that you're going to bless these people. Then it says that the Lord your God may bless you. So there's three things that's touched on here. And then there's a blessing pronounced upon them. In the case of their covenant, but certainly the principles apply to people of faith from before the time of Christ and since the time of Christ, the church. Because this is exactly what the New Testament writers had in mind when they said that he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. So how much do you want to reap is how much you want to sow. And God is a cheerful giver. And I've said this many times when we get solicited for so many things in ministry or personally, I just decide, I just decide, like, do I want to, do I want to sow in this ministry or these people or these things? Do I want to support the Humane Society of Orange County? If I do, I can. I care about animals. If I want to do that, I can do that. I can walk the dog. I can give my money. That's my choice. I'm not going to do it out of obligation if I want to. The March of Dimes, whatever. Do I want to support this or that? Do I want to support these Christian ministries? Like, it's, it's from the Lord. And whatever you sow, do it cheerfully. If you want to give a large tip, do it cheerfully. If you don't, at least do it respectfully. Because that could be your kid, depending on that extra income from the tips. Right? But, like, the idea is that we're never begrudging. And Mr. Foster, Jeremy and I, who's no longer here, but we used to say all the time, like, we'd look at something like Jeremy's like, I'm feeling obligated. I go, me too. And then, all right, move on. We never wanted to give when we felt obligated. We'd be like, no, I'm, fe- I'm feeling this. Me too. Let's, let's sign that check. I'm feeling good about this. See, that's the idea, like, when you feel begrudging, when someone corners you outside of a store and says, hey, give me some money, like, no, I don't really want to. You know, you don't have to. But if you see somebody like, hey, I want to bless that person, then go bless them. It's that simple. When Paul wrote to the Philippian church, after he said, I've learned to abound and to abase, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he says, you know, you were able to meet my needs, and that's awesome, but it's not so much that I'm dependent upon that because I'm good with the Lord, but it's good for you. I want the blessing upon you, and my God is able to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. So he made very clear right there that Paul's like, hey, I appreciate your giving, but God's going to give one way or the other. And for you, it's good because there's a blessing in it. I want you to be blessed. Not that I want it to be reckoned to your account is exactly what he said there in Philippians chapter 4. And whenever I give generously, I feel like this is reckoned to my account. Or people give to the ministry generously, or we sow bountifully generously to different ministries and things. It's, it's reckoned to our account. Recently, as we invested in some churches that have weathered some pretty tough storms in Los Angeles, and we sowed bountifully, we gave to strengthen the church in Los Angeles that has been through more than any of us here in Orange County really, truly understand or know. It's been really tough on the churches in Los Angeles. So it's good for us. And that's how we look at it. That's how I look at my personal life. That's how we look at it as a church. And that's how we should. So as we think like, okay, therefore that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands, which you do. Don't we all want to be blessed in everything we do? Like, don't you really? Let's, let's, be, let's, let's be real right here. Don't you really want to be blessed in all that you do? 
Now, God, Jesus is same yesterday and forever, so it's not like he's going to change his character. So don't you really want to be blessed in everything that you do? Because that's the wording here, and all Scripture is profitable. So don't we want to be blessed in everything that we do? Not some of the things, but everything that we do. And again, this is an incredibly generous church. Extremely generous. So this isn't more like an exhortation, but a reflection for our future in an uncertain time, for sure. In the principle of putting the Lord first with our finances, he said there, we saw that in uh, verse 23, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God, always. Now, in their context, we saw obey the Lord, get rain. Disobey the Lord, get famine. That's what God literally said to them in their covenant. He will always get our attention when it's dealing with our finances. If something's happening with your finances, you, you perk up. You know, my dad being in assisted living, you know, he was, he was kind of cruising, doing good. And then we had some issues with his finances, some attempted hacks and everything. Man, I'll tell you what, he's in the moment when you're talking about his money. What? Now what happened? Tell me again. It's like, he's just over here in a happy place. And all of a sudden, dad, something happened. No, wait a second. Tell, what now? You know, like he's, he's right there in the moment. And that's how we are. You can be all over the place, fuzzy wuzzy at 90. And you just think someone's taking your money. Now say that again. That's it within us. We're, we're like that. Nothing gets our attention like something with finances that are of hardship or whatever. Now, the Lord will often reveal himself to us through finances. He'll reveal himself to us uh, miraculously to provide certain ways, or he might re- refrain or restrain money for, to protect us from something he doesn't want us involved in or just to get our attention. So when he provides for us, like Elijah, if you know the story of Elijah, he was there at the brook Cherith during the time of Ahab hiding. The water was there at the brook Cherith. They had the water, and the, and the crows brought the food every day for him. Supernatural provision, and God provided for him. But then there came a point where the brook dried up, and the crows quit coming, and he knew it was time to move on. And, and God will do those things. He'll provide, and then he won't. How about the widow with the oil, the, the miraculous oil? The oil, the oil for every day of the famine, the day the famine's over, no more oil. Just like the manna, 40 years of manna this side of the river, the moment they cross over, no more manna. Like, God knows what we need, when we need, how long we need it. When we were in Vermont, there was a family that was doing quite well here in California that I knew from my surfing days, and they sent us a a pretty strong check every month for every month that we're in Vermont. And it was so important for us in our needs. We never solicited it, because we never do, but it really helped us stay there to do the ministry But eventually, other elements affected us, and we knew that we could not stay and live in Vermont and continue that church. What most people don't know when I talk about Vermont and Calvary Chapel Burlington is we would have stayed if we could have stayed. But the brook dried up, and the crows quit bringing the bread. And we had to come back to California. I did not want to come back to California. Even when we were there in Vermont, it was so beyond us working in minimum wage at the hotel and all that stuff. But at the same time, when God made it clear that we had to come back, there was a time we were there, and you know the story where I complained, working all day for eight hours and having $17 in tips. $17. So I'm driving home the 10-minute drive between the Sheraton Hotel and where we live in North Burlington. $17. $17. Eight hours, $17. That's like, that's barely two bucks an hour, you know? And I was complaining. Then I get home, and there's a check in our, the mail for $170 from someone we've never known, never heard of, never heard of again, never send us money again. Now, even if you're a little slow... Let me tell you, I've seen a lot of tithe checks at Big Calvary in here. 
I don't think I've ever seen another check for $170. People write a $100 check, a $50 check, a $2 check, a $100,000 check. But $170 is a very random amount on the same day that you got 17 and you're complaining about it all the way home. Now, one of the laws of compound probability that I get $17, I've never gotten $17 a day's wage before or since in my entire life. Multiply that by the years I've lived, the days I've lived. Then a check in the mail from a stranger you've never heard of, who did, I don't even know how they knew my address or address, for 10 times that amount. On the same day, I'm complaining about the $17. That's the beauty of the Lord speaking to us through finances. That he's got this. And it's all a test. And it's never about the money. It's always about the heart. For where the treasure is, the heart will follow. And if the heart's in faith and the heart's in heaven, then it's just fun lessons like $17, dollars $170. Like, well, I'm a little slow and a little upset, but $17 and $170, that's a really, that's the greatest coincidence of my lifetime. Or this is very personal from the Lord. And then we have the story in my own life where I would go buy gas at night with pennies because you don't buy gas when everyone else is in line with pennies. And I bought the gas with pennies. And then the next day I got a call from these people I barely knew. And they said they wanted to give me money. So that's great. Good timing. My devotion was Elijah and that whole story of the ravens. I'm drop off Timmy at the daycare over at Santa Fe Christian there in Encinitas. I'm driving down the road by Santa Cruz High School. And the crow flies next to me with the bagel in its mouth for 100 yards looking at me. Now that is the strangest thing ever. I'm like, uh, uh. I'm like, but wait, it's a crow with a bagel. And I just read. I was like, Hello. And then I went out to San Marcos to get this check. The check was for thousands of dollars after buying gas with pennies. So I tell you, our God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And God loves a cheerful giver, not a begrudging giver. And it's never about the money. It's about the faith and the heart. But in our own lives, you have testimony and stories too. Like, oh, how are we going to do this? And it comes through. I'm telling you, it all gets redistributed. So if you're in a financial crux, God can make a stranger write you a check for $170 or call you and say, we're going to give you this check. You're hoping for a couple hundred thousands. Like, you just don't know. But like, don't limit God. Because all these people with all this wealth fighting God, they die and the wealth stays behind. And Ecclesiastes tells us, guess what? It gets given to someone else. Solomon said he'll take it from the rich man who didn't serve him and leaves it behind, and he'll give it to someone who does serve him who's still left behind. And a living dog's better than a dead lion. Ecclesiastes. So, in this situation, we see that they would fear the Lord in the sense that they would, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see, it all goes together. That there's a dependency upon God in heaven to be our provider. Now, some of you are really smart and very successful at making money. In fact, we're very high proportionate that way in this congregation. So praise the Lord that God has done these things in your life, that you can be extremely successful in how to make money and large sums of money. Some of you have prospered beyond measure, but... We don't ever want to say, like, this is of me. Like, oh, look what I've done. Because Nebuchadnezzar said, wow, Babylon, what a great thing. What happens? He goes, nothing. He's eating grass for seven seasons. Until he learns that the Lord's the one who provides. Even, even the king of Babylon had to learn that lesson. 
So we don't ever want to say, like, I did this. We always want to be that the Lord provides for us. Now, the younger people, we have young couples that come to church here, and we have young couples that have grown up here and moved on and done different things. And it's a process to learn to trust the Lord with your wealth. It really is. But he'll meet us where we're at. And from the lessons that we learned a long time ago, you always want to take your needs to the Lord. We had a situation in Virginia where uh, we had a, a mission group come through and do like a, a rah-rah thing at our church. It was awesome. Everybody signed up to sponsor missionaries. But what happened was they took all the church money and redistributed it to missionaries. So the exact amount of money they signed up to give to missionaries disappeared in the regular church funds. And I was uh, jobless. I mean, I had the title... And so I, I sought counsel from other pastors that I respect. And they said, well, you need to get in front of the church and tell them that you're going to have to get a regular job because the money's not there. And uh, you just need to tell the church. So they, they need to know. So the next day I go to work at 3150 Magic Hollow, Calvary Chapel, Hampton Roads. I show up and there's a book on the life of George Mueller on the front door. And there's the Venture in Faith VHS that Pastor Chuck had made in the early 90s, which became iconic and is still one of the best things that... Calvary Coast Mesa ever produced, Venture of Faith. I had not seen it yet. So when I'm thinking about presenting to the congregation the financial need, I get a George Mueller book, and I get the Venture Faith video from, I don't know who put them there. Where do those things come from that day? Where do they come from? How? No, no, nothing. They're just on the front porch of the church. We're in a strip mall. They're right next to the kinder care in 7-Eleven. What is this? As I'm praying about, what do I do? George Mueller always took his needs to God, never man. I read that book and I said, Lord you're, Lord, you're telling me, take my needs to God, not man. And so I will. Many of you know, we never did present that need to the church. We gave plasma for months, my wife and I, twice a week to not put that burden on the church. I learned a lot what it's like to give your blood for others. Laying down for hours at a time is a powerful lesson in our life, but my God will supply all of our needs according to his rich and glory. We need to fear the Lord. We need to put our trust in the Lord. We need to know, like, you young people that feel like the housing market's getting away from you, it might be getting away from you, but God can just give you a house. People give you cars, remember? I gave away three cars this year. Someone gave me a car. That's good. I like that. This car, this car, this car. That car's an upgrade, too, by the way. That was a, was a good deal. I mean, if I was in the car business, I got a, it was a good deal. I didn't even, I just gave away three cars. Well, two we gave away. One was destroyed and vandalism and in the end I just gave it all to the Lord and God gave me the car that I, I really love it's my favorite car in years I think it's my favorite car ever I love my car because it's, it's kind of like a truck but it's not a truck but it's like you know it's an HP cruiser it's the right car God is able to do so we need to fear the Lord we need to realize the Lord gives the early rain and the latter rain if he doesn't give rain you need to ask him why aren't you giving rain and if there's a chasing we need to take it like a woman of God or a man of God if, if someone plunders your wealth, you just got to take it like a man of God and you'll be tested. A woman of God, you'll be tested. Because you'll find what you're made of when someone takes your wealth. We can't all just be like Job and lose everything and one day go, oh man, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken. Some of us are like, no, they took it, and I'm going to go get them. That's the natural response, right? That's the natural response when you're a giver and you're a victim of a taker. But takers take and it's never enough even when they take in almost all your stuff. But givers give and keep on giving because they're always willing to keep on forgiving. we got to get to the finish line of being a giver, not a taker. And if we're a taker, we need to let go and become a giver. 
And we need to have empathy on takers. You just got to have empathy on takers. We have to be empathetic. We have to fear the Lord. It's all the Lord's. It all comes from the Lord. And the context is finances, but we can talk about our health. Good health comes from the Lord. Uh, Bad health, that's the Lord's allowed it. And that's between you and the Lord. If I have a terminal illness and a life-threatening illness, that's going to be between me and the Lord. And you can pray for me. And if it's God's will, I'm healed. Great, I'll be around for Clementine's wedding day. If not, I'll be a distant memory and a photo for my granddaughter in Florida. But I've already got 60 years, which is five more than Peter the Great got. And a lot of people, more than Spurgeon got, he got 54, 56. You understand? It's about fearing the Lord. It's about having the eternal perspective because all this is temporal, but when, it's all, when the Lord is first and we tithe or, or acknowledge him in our giving, whatever, when we truly have him enthroned in our hearts, then, then we just fear the Lord. It's like it's all the Lord's. And so when the lawyers threaten you and this threatens you or these people threaten you, it's like, oh, okay, you know, it's the Lord's. When Pastor Chuck had a lawsuit against him for the antennas on top of Saddleback Mountain for K-Wave, we had a situation with lawyers where he, I had to be at a deposition with his lawyers, and they were really good lawyers. And he told me, well, Joey, you know, good lawyers. And Pastor Chuck said that to me. I was like, wow, good lawyers. I remember that one. But he won that lawsuit against the state. And I remember just saying, like, if the Lord wants our antennas on Saddleback, they're on Saddleback. And if he doesn't, then he's allowed it. We need to fear the Lord, not government that can take your antennas down from Saddleback or thieves that can take your private identity or your personal wealth. Because even if they took it, could not the Lord return it or restore it? What happened with Job? They took everything. And what did the Lord do? He multiplied his blessings when he restored them. And we're told in the New Testament, that's for our admonition in the book of James, that the end that the Lord intended It's always about the heart. We fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, not the thief or the government or any other force. Fear the Lord, because in the end, he's ultimately a provider. Then we also see, you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. So they would, would, let's say we live in the Dan, up way in the north, Naphtali, up north of the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to go to the tabernacle. All right, kids, we're going to go down. We've got this big old offering. Okay, we've got the bull, the lamb, all this stuff. Here's our grain offerings and Oh, we're not going to haul all this through the Jordan Valley, so we're going to sell it here. We'll get to Jerusalem. We'll buy all the stuff. They get to Jerusalem. They buy the stuff. And they actually participated in a meal with their sacrifice and their tithe. Now, you've you got you to decide what kind of attitude you're going to have for 90 miles, 100 miles walking south. So it would be like a San Diego Mission, Oceanside Mission, San Juan Capistrano. What's the next one? It's right up here. He's, you know, the missions are 30 miles apart, so just feel three missions. And you can decide, like, are you excited to bring your wealth to the temple, the tabernacle? Are you excited to break bread with the Lord who gave you all that? Are your children excited? Kids, we're going we're gonna to have a meal with the Lord. It's like a food and fellowship with the King of Kings. It's a food and fellowship in Jerusalem. Are you excited? Or is it like, man, i got to pay taxes. And the temple's like the accountant's office. You just dread going there. Like, good news, bad news, right? Don't we all feel that way this time? You're like, good news, bad news? It's always good news with the Lord. God is a cheerful giver. You would have to decide, are you joyful in your giving? And are you going to pass that on? Are you going to enjoy this meal with the Lord, with your wife, there at the temple? Is it religion or is it relationship? 
Because God says, you shall rejoice. And in the previous chapter, chapter 12, not 13, but 12, three times it says, you're going to rejoice. You're going to rejoice in what your hand has done. You're going to rejoice. So actually the idea that the Lord had in mind is when you bring the gift, you're just rejoicing because God made you a really smart horticulturalist. You are really smart. You're really good with the vineyards. You're, in fact, you're amazing with vineyards. Like you have the best grapes in the Kidron Valley. It's amazing. What skill God has given you with grapes. And what you can do with a fig tree, mind-bending. It's like the sumu fruit, this new orange you get, right? It's like you can peel it in one peel. It's super sweet, not too juicy. It's not sticky, and there's no seeds. It's like, the per- it's like they did like this kind of hybrid, and they made this perfect fruit, orange thing. It's like that. Like, but you would say God did that. I didn't do that. Oh, I'm so smart, son of Adam. I can put a lunar module on the moon, and I can make a perfect fig without seeds. No, the Lord gives us all the skills and gifts that we have. He's over all of it, and we acknowledge him, whether we're the plumber, the carpenter, or the electrician, or whoever we are, the teacher, the pastor, and we bring it, and we're like, Lord, you're good. And you, you gave me these skills. You gave me these talents. And this really is who WG is, because this really is our church the way we are. So praise God. And you rejoice with your family. So the next generation understands God provide all this. See all this that you have? This isn't me being smart with widgets and gadgets and decimal points. This is what the Lord has done for us, and he's done for you. And as he's provided for us, you'll see he'll provide for you. Now, we can lay something up for you, but who knows what dark day is coming. But in the end, you know whatever day you face, he's going to provide for you. He is your confidence. He is the early rain. He is the latter rain. He allows the Sabaeans. He allows the Midianites. And whatever comes your way, just know he'll always be your provider and your protector and your healer. And we need to know that. You will fear the Lord first, and then you'll rejoice in your giving. And that's exactly what Paul said. God loves a cheerful giver. I love to give. I truly do. And most of you, if not all of you that I'm looking at that I know here are very generous in your giving people. I mean, I gotta be honest, maybe it's just because I'm close to eternity, but when I see opportunities where I can bless someone, and give. It's not like, oh, more fruit for eternity, but I know that's what it is. Like, I just want to encourage this person. I want to encourage your children in what God's doing in their life. I want to be part of what they're doing. When all your kids, any of your kids, everyone on a mission trip, and you came here, what did we do? We got behind it, because we want to encourage them to take steps of faith, and we want to support them in their faith and learning to trust the Lord in their journey, always. Any smart teenager knows that worship generation will always fund them on a mission trip. They know that. That's a good investment. And you just can't go wrong on that investment. Plus, if they want to go when they're young, they're more likely to go when they go older. So we want to get behind that. We want to rejoice. I believe we do rejoice. You and your household. You might be the primary breadwinner, as they say, but you and your household, you and your, your marriage should rejoice in your giving. You and your children should rejoice in the giving. As I think about the inheritance I've received from our parents, and I think about the inheritance that we have for our children, physical children, I also think about the inheritance I have for my spiritual children. And I think about what I want to do to help so many people who I've been able to work with, disciple, and minister to, and mentor in ministry. I want to help your kids. If you're gone before me, I want to help your kids. If you're gone before me, I want to help your wife or your husband. If you not capable of working or helping to find a job and pray for his job. That's who we want to be. And I really believe that's who we are. 
But God wants us to rejoice. So when you leave here tonight, just know that God wants you to rejoice in your giving. He hasn't changed that. <laughs> We're going to Jerusalem. Yeah. And like God has prospered our wedding business. He's prospered our plumbing business. He's prospered our accounting business. He's pros- prospered our ministry business. He's, he's, and just so. Brian Jameson over at OCCF, they just so and so and so. They're a smaller church with less resources. But whenever he, he starts talking about all things they're doing, he just gets so excited because they're a giving church and they're just going for it. I love stuff like that. We want to rejoice. We want to be excited. If anyone asks you about your giving, you don't necessarily have to tell them what you're doing, but you just you'll be like, oh, we love to give. Love to give. We want to invest in people. We want to invest in the kingdom. Then the last thing we see, so we see that we need to fear the Lord. We need to rejoice in our giving. But that last thing is, is, is in this context, it gives us a target. The Levite, they were the spiritual leaders. They're like the ministry, the ministers. They were to serve the people, to serve the Lord. They didn't have possessions. The Lord is their inheritance. So the Levites, when Jehoshaphat had his revival and he put teachers in every city to teach the law of God to the people, they, of course, Levites would have gone out with the law of God. So they were full-time ministry. So that's cool. That's great. But that's not, you know, full-time ministry is a unique thing for most pastors are not full-time ministry, and that, that's fine. But they, they're the spiritual leaders. So the Levites, contextually, that's what it would be. So that's investing in pastors and pastors' wives and and church leaders and various things that you might feel led to do. And again, we've done a lot of this as a church. We've done a lot of this. While we invest in the ministries of what people do, we invest in people. And we always affirm to people that when we're sending them resources, that it's at their discretion. Because if you've got a family of four people in a third world country, your whole life is the ministry. Like you might, you might want, you might need a couple thousand dollars because you're doing these food things and you're feeding people during COVID and that the government can't feed or whatever. You might want to get a new building during COVID and God's opened that door for you and the police are giving you favor and look the other way when you're open. These are true stories. But you know, your daughter might have a medical thing that insurance just doesn't cover and you got to go to this city and it's going to cost a thousand dollars to get in and see the specialist. And that might be your need for this money. We trust the, we believe in people. We believe in supporting ordained, spirit-filled people, and then they make the call. If it says you designate this for this, this or that, or it's like, hey, as you feel led, man, as you feel led. And we want people that know when they receive anything from us, you're there. These people are, these people that are planning churches in faraway countries like Far away places like Siberia, they're all in with their families. It's 30 below for months at a time. They drive snowmobiles to faraway villages to share the gospel. If they need the money to fix a snowmobile, good. If they need the money to get homeschool supplies for their kids from the other side of the world, then good for that too, right? It's people. The Levite. And then, of course, there's the widows. And we've talked a lot about this, the widows. It's those that are more vulnerable and have less opportunity. The widows, the orphans, of course. Wow. We have so many families in this church that have adopted children and mothers of adopted children. And I see some of you here tonight. I so commend you. It's amazing. I cannot think of a greater step of faith than to adopt children that are not your own and raise them, not knowing how it's going to play out. Hey, it's hard enough when they're your biological children. 
it's easier to have difficulties when you're raising your own biological children. The love and sacrifice to raise children that you did not birth is just incredible. You've chosen to raise orphans, and the Lord knows that in all the heartaches and challenges that you might incur in that. God bless you, and the Lord knows that. God loves the orphan. And, of course, we do a ton of stuff with orphans all over the world, all over the world. And I've been saying this the last few weeks, but what we need to understand is, like, the young people here, most of you could figure out some kind of a plan by which you could make money. I look at what David Yardley did with Moon Goat Coffee over there in Costa Mesa of the Yardley family. It's just amazing. I love Moon Goat Coffee. It's like, like David Yardley came up with this, and we grew up with the Yardley kids. They all went to worship generation. And David Yardley had that opportunity, but I can assure you those opportunities are not available to most people in the world in most countries. When our own Jennifer Monroe went to Africa in January to a closed Muslim nation, for one week to minister to women, young women, I can assure you, those women cannot just figure out a way to open Moon Goat Coffee in their city. They can't even get an education. Like, you think, well, well, come on, get it together and find a way in that country. I can't even name the country. It's so gnarly. Come on, girl, find a way. There is no way. That's the point. So we have to pray and Apart from a revolution, there's just no way. A change of government, there's no way. A running away from what you do know, human beings will take a known dysfunction over an unknown function. So apart from being a, a young African girl in a Muslim nation, running across borders to try and find a better life in Europe, she's in line on the boats to get to Italy like everybody else. How's that working out? What girl's gonna do that at 18 to get a college education? or even basic hygienic instructions. You see, we are blessed, and we sow, and we reap. I can't wait till I get to eternity. Not I want the young people to be 80 before your time. I'll get there before you. But I can't wait till these three generations are all in eternity. I mean, by the year 2110, we're all there, basically, except maybe a couple kids here. But we're there, and we'll really see the fruit. Think about Pastor Chuck right now in eternity with all those hippies from the tent. And even the people from the four square churches that he pastored before that, they're all there now. And not only that, these are like good stock investments because they're there and their fruit is still going on like right here because we're Chuck's fruit. So we invest in people, particularly vulnerable people, and you just, you just go for it. The stranger the fatherless, the Levite, the widow. And we talked about the stranger last week, and it's been kind of the running joke in our family this week. Like, who's a stranger? Anyone that rubs you wrong is a stranger. The person on the freeway is a stranger. That neighbor down the road is a stranger. Like, the stranger, the guy that just took the best way of the day from you at the pier is the stranger. Like, the stranger is anyone and everyone. The person that treats you rude because you're from California, you're talking to someone in Florida. The stranger is anyone. The stranger is the immigrant, legal or illegal. And again, we talked about this. So much of the ministries that we are supporting all over, particularly like Eastern Europe and Africa and these places, there's refugees. Half the planet's refugees right now. And we're able to be a part of this. Like, it's, you, it's, real, it's a really good feeling knowing that you're investing in people that are the stranger. Today, 
we had the men down there at the beach. You know, it's kind of funny, though, with a stranger. You just never know what you're going to get. So we're at the beach today. We had the, those great breakfast burritos from Sugar Shack. The best. Thank you, Sam. Guys, everything that made it happen. But I've been talking for days with my wife. Like, the last couple of men saying I've been kind of, like, fasting, so I didn't take the breakfast burritos. But this time, I'm like, oh, we got my camp. I'm getting that breakfast burrito, man. We've had a bunch of them left over, too. I'm all over the breakfast burrito. So, but we're a little more downsized this time, you know, there's less abundance because we kind of had the idea of numbers. I'm like, okay, well, there's enough for half one now. And so I look and right when we're done, there's like three half breakfast burritos. I'm like, yeah, grab that breakfast burrito. I got, I got my half a breakfast burrito. Because old Jennifer, I told the dogs when I left, Fitz, Lucy, I'm coming back with a sugar sack breakfast burrito. I think it's got bacon in it. Us, mommies, the women singing Vista, party, breakfast burrito all day long in the house. So I got my breakfast burrito, we're about to leave. But this homeless woman was kind of hovering. Somebody noticed her. She kind of kept kind of hovering around us, like looking for something. I was like, I think there goes my breakfast burrito. I was like, wow. Gosh, that's so I tell Fitz when I get home without that breakfast burrito. So I say, hey, are you hungry? And she goes, yeah. I was like, would you like a breakfast burrito? She's like, yeah. So I give her the burrito. She goes, oh, it looks like you've been sitting out for a while. I was like, man, it's my breakfast burrito, man. You're talking trash on my breakfast burrito, man. <laughs> like, do you want to give it back? You know, like, like <laughs> so you don't give your brother your breakfast burrito because they appreciate it. You give it away because God is a cheerful giver. And she went like, she flicked the top of it. I was like, oh, what are you flicking? I've been guarding. I had my eyes when Sam was teaching my eyes were on that breakfast burrito. But you know what she said after about 30 seconds? Well, thanks. <laughs> but even she didn't say thanks. I didn't really do it because she's going to say thanks. I did it because the Lord said, give her your breakfast burrito. And I did it joyfully. Isn't it great to serve the Lord? Isn't it great to have him over everything? To, to fear the Lord as your provider? To rejoice in the Lord in your sowing? And to love all those people that are out there that need to be invested in with your time, your energy, and your resources? So WG, keep sowing bountifully, keep believing in people, keep loving people, and just keep our treasures in heaven. Amen?